Before the break, I began with the comment, the comment that I made uh, towards the beginning of last study, in which I had said that I want people to make connection about me giving a date and related to what I was going to teach. And I heard from a lot of you, as I mentioned, in the first half, and was pleased that a lot of you caught what I was about to say. And one of it is that uh, one person particularly said, there was no way on this planet that you would have known that on last Sunday, what you studied in a year and four months will be exactly pronouncing Christ, Christmas as an idolatrous worship. He said that to me and I said, okay. He said, that's the first time you've actually made a connection. And I said, no, that's not. It's just that people didn't get it, maybe. But I went in and I made, because of a comment from one of our members, I went into my notes of what I taught in Luke, the Gospel of Luke. And so, from that note, I made two points. I mean, I just read some of it. The first point I made is that Christi, uh, the thing about Christmas was not even accepted among the Puritans. And as I gave you the instruction that it was banned in New England area Massachusetts in 1651 or somewhere. And then the law was repealed. That one was, I think, 1681, as I explained to you, uh, reading from my notes. I didn't go into all other things, but I made the point. And the second thing that I made an issue was the fact that whether people want to accept it or not, it is still what we call tree worship, which, because I wrote a quote from my notes of that time to show you that tree worshiping was part of European idolatry. And even when they converted to Christianity, some of them were still doing it. And that's hence the Yuli tree and all kinds of things. And eventually, that wound up what people call today a Christmas tree. And I made very clear whether you want to accept it, you don't accept it, that's your business. Anytime that you bring a Christmas tree inside your house, you have invited demon into your house. And you get ready, some people, it will make them sick, it will cause all kinds of trouble, but it will. And so I went through all that, explained it, and, and of course I did explain all other things that I, I did indicate that when I'm here, and I went through all this, because I'm, I think it's very important for people to understand me, that every day, there's not a day that go by when I wake up that I do not thank God for sending me here for a purpose. I know the purpose he sent me. That's what I emphasize in the first half. I know the purpose to teach the truth without looking at any human being's face. That's what he sent me. So by me being here, it has two purposes. Either you are blessed by what comes out of this pulpit, or you are cursed by it. You are blessed if you hear it, go and leave it. If you are cursed, if you reject it. And so when you go into the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to stand there. God's going to say, yeah, I sent somebody to you to teach you. You had it. What do you do with it? So you say, no. So you are in heaven. All right, you'll be in heaven. But that's about it. No other blessing. No other reward. So I went through all that. 
in order to go into the doctrine that I, I promised we will review, which is the doctrine of demons. So I started dealing with the doctrine of demons, went through all kinds of things to introduce the concept of demons, and I proved uh, in terms of who they are. I also described the activities, part of which is bringing sickness. And when I did that, uh, I went back to one of the things that we were studying in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 18 through uh, 20, and I emphasize the fact that the Apostle Paul said, I don't want you to be participants with demons. And I said, my love for this congregation is very simple. I do not want you to hurt by being involved with demons. So, I'm going to tell you things that's going to ruffle your feather. And I've said that many times. Most of you know that. If that doesn't faze me. You don't like it? That's between you and the Lord. You don't like it? Tell him. But I say something you don't like. If you're that bold, tell him that. But for me, it's very simple. Lay it out. Those who listen, listen. Those who don't, they don't. So my thing is, when a person in this congregation hurts, even if I don't tell you, I'm hurting in my own way. Most of you don't even know that. It's very simple for some of you. You don't know what kind of burden I have for people in this congregation. When somebody is sick in the hospital, I'm going to go. Most of them I do, but if I don't. You know, but you don't know, sometimes they are, I remember a case of somebody who was seriously sick. And they kept me almost sleepless every night praying for that individual. And he pulled through. And so I don't pray. It may, some of you may think this is a joke. That's why I keep saying Christianity is not a joke. It is real. So part of the reality is these demons. Demons exist. And they are here to do havoc. They are here to cause problems for Christians. That is why we have to be careful in everything we do. And again, that's one of the reasons I I said in a way I could be classified as a Puritan. Because my way of looking at the scriptures, if you cannot show it to me in the Bible, then don't do it. I don't care what it is. If you cannot say the Bible says this, then to me, it's not worth doing. Now you can do it, but don't call it Christianity. That's all I care. If you say, oh, I'm just doing this, but you know. But it has nothing to do with being a Christian. And then my question will be to you. What does the Bible say? In everything you do, do that to the glory of God. So if you're doing anything you just want to do, it's up to you. Anyway, so with all that, we went through, uh, going through all about demons, the activities, and part of which is to make people sick. And that's one of the reasons I, I emphasize uh, that I made a point about inviting demons into your house through Christmas trees. Now, when people do that, these demons that are responsible for illness, they can do all kinds of things to you. But the problem is that most people go through this since they don't really know what's going on with them. But if you are taught the word of God, which I've explained clearly, once you suffer, once you have pain, and I use myself as an illustration, when I'm studying, if I bang my foot on my study table, I start, Lord, what am I doing? What am I thinking? Something goes wrong here. Just to get, why are you trying to get my attention? Which means, 
everything that happens in your life as a believer, God is speaking. You need to find out what He's telling you. He wants, you know, God wants all of us to enjoy a wonderful life on this planet. Unfortunately, sin says otherwise. He wants us to be, I mean, to be joyful. Now, in spite of all this, though, we are all still commanded to be joyful. Rejoice always. How do we do that? One of the things is recognize that demons are for real. They are active. And they want to ruin my life and your life as a believer. We shouldn't give it the opportunity. And the way they do it, that is through one of the activities I described during the first half, which is through propagating false teaching. And false teaching is not going to come from unbelievers. It's going to come from those who are in the pulpit. But they dance around the truth because they don't want to get anyone mad. And I don't know why, how can a person, truly in my judgment, call himself a pastor. If all he does is to dance around so that people will like him. And I ask myself, when did the uh, Israelites love their prophets? Or when did the Jews love the Lord Jesus Christ? When he spoke thoughts, or they looked for stone to kill him. So, in my judgment, until people are really mad at you as a pastor, you're probably not doing what you're supposed to do. Anyway, so we haven't gone through all that. We get down to the last thing we, we said before break is to talk about demon possession. And it is with that we begin our study uh, the second half. The term demon possession is not really an expression that is found in the Bible as such. In other words, it's not much of a concept. But it is a word that is coined from things used in the Bible because there's a word in the Greek that really sometimes it's translated demon possessed, but it's really, it's really a little more di- different from that meaning, which again I developed in that book when we studied Luke. But I'm not going to go into all that since I'm only doing a, a review of what we said. And I also indicated that those who want to go back and they could go begin, I think, lesson 80 of Luke, and you get into all the details. So, demons, as far as we know, uh, when we talk about in, uh, demon possession, we're really thinking that they are those who take the body of women or influence human beings in a sim- simple way. Again, demon possession is a concept. The Bible provides us very little information. For example, we are not given the information as to how a person comes to be possessed by a demon or how demons indwell the bodies of an individual. Now, it is interesting that as far as I have been able to determine, in all occurrences, about 11 of them in the Greek text, uh, the Greek word translated to be possessed, uh, to be demon-possessed, it's actually uh, descri- it's used in such a way to describe the actual uh, demon uh, possession of individuals. All of them appear in what is called the present tense in the Greek. Now, the present tense used in those instances indicates that the possession started sometime in the past, but the emphasis is with what is going on at the present. So, the present tense 
could also indicate, as we have already mentioned, that possession may not be continuous, indicating that demon involved the person at a chosen interval, that is, determined by the demon. They know where to come, when they go. They can do that. So we do not know when and how a person gets to be possessed by demons, only their present state is emphasized. Furthermore, we do not know the basis of how they get to be possessed by demons and others or whatever they do. In other words, the Bible they now clearly state the basis on which a person is a candidate for demon indwelling. However, what we know for certain is that there are uh, that we are not careful that a person we know that in all cases demons will cause illness. That they can do that. So we know that for certain that there are certain conditions that at least will make a person be attracted to demons. Although again I say we are not certain of what these conditions are. Now we say this because of the description recorded in Matthew chapter 12 verses 43 through 45. Matthew chapter 12 verses 43 through 45. Matthew 12 chapter 43 through 45 reads, When an evil spirit comes out of a man, he goes through a red places, seeking rest, and does not find it. Then he, he says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, sweat clean, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with it seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go in and live go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. This is how it will be with this wicked generation. Now, so our Lord did not go into detail to explain to us the conditions that make it attractive for a, uh, a demon that has left a house or a person to return to that person. However, one clear condition uh, is that demon must find that body unoccupied, indicating proved that the person does not have the Holy Spirit living in him. Now this is the most logical way to understand that a body is unoccupied. For you see, if some demon is already in that body, then the other demons will probably join them. But if the Holy Spirit occupied the body, then there is really no room for, say, for demons to return permanently. It doesn't mean it won't come uh, uh, periodically. So the ambiguity of the condition here is really in the expression where it says swept clean and put in order. Swept clean and put in order. Now the expression put in order is translated from a Greek word that also means to beautify or to make attractive. Therefore it seems that there are conditions inside the soul that will make a person very attractive to demons. 
But our law did not specify those conditions. Now we could only speculate that it must be that the, the soul of the individual contains no truth of God's word. So that the big demons will have no problem occupying the person's body and influencing the person's soul. So while our Lord did not go into any detail about the condition that makes a person suited for demon possession, it would seem one way for a person to make himself a candidate for demon possession is to be involved in idolatry and its associated practices. For it is through idolatry that a person comes into the closest contact, so to say, with demons. Now I know some of you may you just you know your mind may spin around. What are you hearing from me? Now when I say demons, there are things they associate with. And you, when I made a comment about demons loving trees and they worship there, that is a concept that whenever you have anything close to that, you're inviting them because that's what they know. It's part of what they do. So if you expose yourself, then you get into trouble with them. So when a person is involved in idolatry, that individual is certainly exposing himself to demons, implied with the instruction of the Apostle Paul that we actually study. Remember, the reason we went to go to the, look at demons is because of 1 Corinthians 10 that we're studying, verse 20, where it says, I do not want you to be participant with demons. So it is probably for the same reason then that a person who gets involved in idolatry or activities that are associated with demons, such as consulting mediums and witchcraft, will be making contact with demons. That God commanded the Israelites not to get involved in these activities, as we read in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 21. Now, one of the, uh, in the first half, I did emphasize something that in my judgment, this is one of the things that somehow along the line, especially most of all, many of our evangelicals, they truncated the scripture so that they focus only in the New Testament and nothing about the Old Testament. Yet the same people say all scripture is God given. So when, when you truncate that, you don't have a, a fuller view of what the Bible is teaching. So what, what it is, is God was sending Israel to Canaan. They were surrounded with all these pagans, with idolatry. God came warning them, don't copy them, don't copy them. The Christianity is full now of copying pagans. And so this is one of those things that God told them. Here verse uh, 31 says, Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. It's also probably the possibility of demons' possession that is implied in the word defiled that we find here. For you see, for uh, it seems that when a person consults a medium or a spiritist, that such a person is exposing himself to the realm of demons and so could easily become demon possessed. 
Hence, to avoid this possibility, God instructed Israel not to have anything to do with consulting mediums. In fact, the case of demon possession that have been documented in modern times by missionaries involve individuals who were involved somehow in idolatry. Now, so, it's important to recognize that demons' possession is not a phenomenon limited to the Bible times. There are certainly many cases of demon possession in the modern times, especially in Africa, China, and India. Now, not South America, but these are the, those three of where we hear mostly about them. Now, missionaries have reported several cases of demon possession. There was a case in Colombia between 1941 and 1942 where a girl that was demon possessed would enter a kitchen, then dishes and utensils were seen flying around as if hauled by unseen hands. Or the case in New York in the 1940s where the hair of a young Indian girl stood straight out from her head, just like somebody with a fan blowing it. And this same lady will be suspended, dance suspended in the air with her feet above the ground for some, uh, some time. At this time though, I will not go into uh, details of these occurrences, but I have chosen to describe in detail the one case reported to have taken place in Germany in the 19th century as given by Dr. Unger. And I'm, I chose this because he received proper public scrutiny. So let me quote the entire text by uh, the book Demons in the Wall Today by Unger Merrill. So I'm going to quote from page 110. I'm going to quote the entire section that is relevant to what I'm trying to develop to you. Quoting, Striking is a case of Gottlinden Dittus. A demon-possessed young woman who became one of Pastor John Christopher Blumhardt's prayer cures. Prayer cures in quote. In the course of his remarkable gospel ministry in the 19th century Germany, Gottlieb then saw aberrations and had frequent attacks in which she fell unconscious and demons spoke through her in their own voice and personality. Bloom had as a pastor and others conversed with them at length. Now, Pastor Blumhardt opened, his, opened this case of possession to public scrutiny. He had a woman stay with Gottlieben, that's a young lady that's so possessed, and asked a committee of prominent citizens to conduct a thorough investigation. Now, persons were stationed all around the house, in various rooms, and even in Gotland's Bean's bedroom. Noises were heard with gradually increasing violence and seemed to concentrate in Gotland Bean's 
chamber. 1611 chamber means a private room. That's, so it's a chamber. Now chairs bounced, windows rattled, plaster fell from the ceiling, and objects moved about without any visible explanation. Prayer caused the noises and the phenomenon to increase. When the victim was removed to another house to live with another family, the noises and the telekinetic phenomenon continued for a while in her former residence and then began in a new one. <laughs> See, before I continue with this, this is one of the things why I was so adamant about Christmas trees. It's because demons know the origin behind it. They were their world's worshipping of trees in Europe. So when they first, you know, converted to Catholicism really mostly, they kinda took that tree worship tree worshiping into a different direction. And so if that happens, demons will migrate to it. It doesn't matter how you try to beautify it. They will migrate to it because they know this. Now, so this lady is now removed from her house to another house. And what do we know? Say so the activities of demons start continued a little bit in that house and then moved to where she was. Then it says, uncontinued, it says, the noises and the and telekinetic phenomena continued for a while in her former residence and then began in the new one. Because the demons were following her. Now, on one occasion, still uh, quoting or reading from that book, on one occasion, after continued uh, prayer, one of the demons inhabiting Gotland Bend cried out, All is now lost. Our plans are destroyed. You have shattered our bond and put everything into confusion. You, with your everlasting prayers, you scatter us entirely. We are 1,067 in number. But there are still multitudes of living men and you should warn them lest they be like us forever. Lost. And cursed of God. Now between December 2nd and December 28th, 1843, complete deliverance from demon possession and restoration to health came to Gotland then, including the sudden healing of a deformed limb that had not responded to therapy. But the final battle was fearful. Bloom had, had uh, that's a pastor, after hours of prayer, commanded the demon to come forth with a terrible outcry, penetrating to a great distance. The demon confessed that he was an emissary of Satan, leaving his victim with a piercing yell, Jesus is victor. End of quote. Now the evil spirits and hosts of demons under uh, him departed, never to return to their victim. This was the climax of an 18th month, uh, 18 month old struggle against stubborn demon spirits. That's the end of that section from that book. Now be that as it may then, in as much as 
We are not provided in any detail of how a person gets to be demon-possessed. Nevertheless, there are certain facts provided about the activities that demons uh, carry out in a possessed person. Now, we mentioned six of these. First, when a person is possessed of demons, his speech could be impaired by the demon. This impairment is mentioned in Matthew chapter 9, verses 32 through 33. Matthew chapter 9, verses 32 through 33 reads, While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk, was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. So you see, demon possession could lead to a person being dumb and only unable to speak, as indicated by what I've uh, read here. Now recall, I had uh, previously referred to a boy who suddenly lost, suddenly lost power of his speech in Madras, in India, under a Hindu, uh, under a tree where they were doing Hindu worship and all that. So there should be no doubt in your mind that demons could affect a person's speech. Second, demon possession could lead to seizures in a person, as indicated in Matthew chapter 17. Verses 15 to 18. Matthew 17, 15 to 18. Matthew chapter 17, verses 15 to 18. It reads, Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and he came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. So the man described his son as having seizures. But in the authorized version, that is the King James Version, and the New American Standard Bible, the son is described as a lunatic. A lunatic. Well, the word seizure is translated from a Greek word that literally means to be moonstruck. Moonstruck. So the word means to have convulsions or to suffer epileptic seizures, which in the ancient times were associated with the supernatural powers of the moon. Now the translation lunatic could be misleading, since what the man described here deals with epileptic seizure, as evident by the fact that the sun falls into fire or water. Now a lunatic will not normally fall into water or fire. 
Now this activity of falling into water or fire not only reveals that demons uh, produce seizures, but they could also produce suicidal tendencies. So in any event, the man did not know the cause of these seizures. But our Lord identified them as caused by a demon. So that once the demon was driven out of the young man's body, the seizure stopped. Now the convulsions that the that demon produced could lead to something as foaming on the mouth, as we see in Luke chapter 9, verse 39. Luke Luke chapter 9 verse 39 you may put your mark idea because I go to one passage and come right back to Luke Luke chapter 9 verse 39 reads a spirit sees him and he suddenly screams he throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth he scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. So, we see what demons can do. Third, demon possession leads to a person being jerked or shaken or even tossed about on the floor, not because of epileptic seizures, but as a demonstration of the demon's power. It is this kind of jerking of a person possessed by a demon that is described in Mark chapter 1 verses 25 through 26. Mark chapter 1 verses 25 through 26. It is, be quiet, said Jesus only. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Fourth, demon possession could lead in hijacking of a person's vocal cord so that the individual speaks the words that demons put in that person's mouth. This is evident in Luke chapter 4 verse 41. Luke chapter 4 verse 41 Luke chapter 4 verse 41 reads Moreover demons came out of many people shouting You are the son of God But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ now do you see that demons recognize that Jesus is the Son of God? And they use the voices of people they possess to shout out that truth. So there's no way then that these demons, possessed individuals, could have known this truth of Jesus being the Son of God. Therefore, it must be that demons, in them speaking, using their voices, were responsible for what we, uh, that we read here. So in any case, there is doubt that 
in case there is doubt or that demons speak through people possessed, we cite two other passages to prove this fact. The first passage involves the healing of a young lady that was involved in fortune telling. Mentioned in Acts chapter 16 verses 17 and 18. Acts chapter 16 verses 17 and 18. He reads, hold on to Acts 2. It says, This God followed Paul, and the rest of us shouted, These men are servants of the Most High, uh, Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. So you see, this left God did not know anything about the apostle and his team. But there was a demon in her that knew that the apostle Paul was a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ who has been commissioned to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, when this God spoke, it was not her speaking. The demon that possessed her, uh, that possessed this lady, hijacked her voice and spoke through her as, as if, if she was herself speaking. Now Apostle Paul himself, certainly filled of the Holy Spirit, commands the demon to leave this girl. Now a second passage related to this is where seven, uh, one man beat up seven uh, sons of Sceva in Acts chapter 19 verses 15 and 16. Acts chapter 19 Acts chapter 19 I mean chapter 19 verses 15 and 16 It reads One day the evil spirit answered them Jesus I know I know about Paul But who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit Jumped on them And overpowered them all he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. So here again, it was not the man that was demon possessed that spoke to the sons of fever. For he could not have known of Jesus and his apostle Paul. But the demon in him knew Jesus and apostle Paul. Hence, they declare what is recorded here. So you get the idea that demon possessed individual could say things that they have no knowledge of. In this case, it is the demon that possesses the individual that speaks through a person's vocal cord. So the examples that we have cited should be enough to convince you that demons do hijack human voices to speak through them. However, because Many think that these things happen only in the Bible time. Let me cite a testimony of a missionary in a more recent time. That the missionary, W.E. Wright, served in West Africa. Now he narrated of how 
a witch doctor spoke in a voice that was clearly not his own. So let me quote him on what is recorded. Still, it's all given that book by Unger, page 112. This is what it says. As I rode on horseback along a country path, I was overtaken by a witch doctor. Curious, as always, I made inquiries as to the contents of the leather bag hung over his shoulder on a miniature axe, the emblem of his profession. He drove, I mean, he drew from his bag a bundle of papers on which were green and orange markings, an imitation of Arabic writing by an illiterate. He volunteered to read to me from the book. And before I could stop him, for I had seen enough, he began nonsense reading in an ordinary voice. Then suddenly his voice changed. He was possessed. And I hear a demon through his lips telling me that I had a sick little girl in my house. My daughter had been sick for several days. And as he was a total stranger, it was unlikely that he would have heard, heard about it. I silenced him as quickly as I could, reading to him from my book, my book, the Bible. So this man had it, and since demons cause illness, the demon knew what they were doing with the little child. Anyway, so we cite, uh, we could, I mean, we could cite more examples, right? Or I could give you my own personal experience with this sort of thing. But this one is sufficient to indicate that demons could take a person's voice so that he speaks of something he has no knowledge of. Now when I say, I mean, some of you may be curious, but there are, there are things that I have struggled through, have seen through in my 50 something years in working with the Lord Jesus Christ that if I told some of you you, may, you just blow your mind so I know what I'm talking about it's not I'm just reading the Bible I'm knowing by experience anyway fifth demon possession could lead in unusual possession of strength in the individual possess and in an unusual conduct now this fact is demonstrated in Luke's description of one of the persons that Jesus drove evil spirits from as we read in Luke chapter 8 verses 27 through 30. Luke 8, 27 through 30. Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 27, reads, When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house. They had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I beg you, don't touch on me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. 
Many times he has seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot, and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. So you must agree then that it requires an unusual strength for a person bound with chains to break the chains in order to free himself. Furthermore, it's usual for a person to want to live in a cemetery as this individual did. Now furthermore, I mean it's not only that this incident illustrates the unusual strength possessed by those who are demon possessed. There is another incident where a person possessed, uh, demon possessed individual was able to beat seven brothers. That Luke recorded, and I have alluded to it in Acts chapter 19. I have alluded to that, but let's go back to it and look at verses starting through uh, 16. Luke. Look, I mean Acts chapter 18, sorry, Acts chapter 19, verses starting through 16, where Luke gives a little more narrative about this. So we read Acts chapter 19, verses 15 through 16. It says, Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon possessed. They will say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirits answered them, Jesus, I know. I don't know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirits jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Now how could one person beat seven men to the point that they bled? Now it must be because of this person possess an unusual strength. Hence, it should be clear that a person that is demon possessed could have unusual strength. Now I have read a case of a demon possessed skinny woman that required more than seven able-bodied men to restrain her under demon possession. Of course, it does not mean that all who are demon-possessed have unusual strength, but certain demon-possessed individuals do have unusual strength. It's for this reason of unusual strength that some Demon-possessed individuals are usually violent, as described, for example, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. Matthew 8, verse 28. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. It is, when he arrived, 
At the other side in the region of Gadarenes, uh, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. So, what unusual strength. Sixth, demon-possessed leads to mental illness. Now we can state that all demon-possessed individuals must of necessity have some form of mental illness at the instant of an actual demon-possession for the simple reason that demons control their minds. Now this mental illness is evident in that the person possessed loses self-control and is prone to act irrational. So, it is because of this situation that the people were astonished at the calmness of a person who had once been uh, demon-possessed but delivered by Jesus Christ as described in Mark chapter 5 verse 15. Mark chapter 5 verse 15. It is, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legions, by the legion of demons, sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Now the expression right mind is translated from a Greek word that means, that may also mean to be sane, or to think straight, or to reason correctly, or even to have some judgment. Now, does a person who is demon-possessed is usually insane or incapable of some judgment. Now, having stated this, we must be careful to understand that not every mental sickness is a result of demon-possession. Now, medical scientists speak of various kinds of uh, mental illnesses ranging from the so-called affective disorder, that is a mental illness that affects a person's mood, uh, mania, mental illness that involves extreme optimism, and, of course, excessive energy, often accompanied by uncontrollable irritability and anger. That ranges to what they call schizophrenia, which of course is a mental illness characterized by unpredictability of thoughts and behavior and withdrawal from reality. Now the term schizophrenia means splitting of the mind. Now these medical scientists describe various causes of mental illness as due to physical changes in the, uh, the brains, due to damage or disease, chemical imbalance, childhood unpleasant experiences, and emotional stress. But they generally do not ascribe any form of mental disorder to anything outside the physical realm. Now this is to be expected because science deals with the physical world 
and not the spiritual world. However, from the Bible it is clear that demons do cause mental illness. But regardless of the cause of any mental sickness, we can confidently assert that every mental illness is a result of spiritual malady in a person. That is, that mental illness is an indication of the effect of sin in a person's life. Now diseases are present because of the presence of sin in the world. Now had Adam not sinned, there would have been no diseases. And so that diseases really are consequences of sin. Now interestingly though, medical scientists unwittingly have indicated that sin is one cause of mental illness. Now how is that, you may ask? Well, when medical scientists identify emotional stress as one cause of mental illness, they have in, indeed accepted that mental illness is a result of sin. Now they say that stress may be due to overwork, financial, or family problems. In other words, they admit in that stress is a result of worry. But you see, to worry is to sin. For the Bible is clear that we should not worry. Our Lord Jesus in his sermon on the mount clearly forbade worrying about anything of this life as we read for example in Matthew chapter 6 verse 25. Matthew chapter 6 Verse 25. Matthew 6 25 reads, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Now, Apostle Paul, writing to the Philippians, issued the command that they should not worry, as we read in Philippians chapter 4. Verse 6. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It is, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, the expression, be anxious, is the Greek word uh, rendered worry in Matthew. Chapter 6, verse 25. Now, Apostle Peter puts the command not to worry in a slightly different way in 1 Peter, chapter 5, verse 7. 1 Peter, chapter 5, verse 7. And hold on to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, chapter 5, verse 7. It is Cast all your, uh, all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. But then, Peter followed this command with an explanation in verse 8. Look at verse 8. He said, Be self controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So, one way then 
Satan can devour a person is to cause mental illness. Therefore, if a person worries, the individual has in effect disobeyed God and therefore has invited Satan to cause suffering and destruction on the person. There's no doubt that excessive worrying could lead to mental illness. But this type of mental illness is due to a failure in one's spiritual life. So you see that mental illness, regardless of the cause, is due to sin, either of the individual or of the original sin of Adam that has brought disease and death to mankind. So the point that we are stressing is that every mental illness is associated with demon possession. Not, I mean that not everyone is associated with demon possession. However, every mental illness is certainly a result of sin. Now there are mental illnesses that are clearly God's discipline on, on, a, on a person. But because many do not recognize that God could discipline a person with mental illness, they assume that it is either a physical condition or a result of demon possession. The reality is that God can discipline a person with mental illness as a disease of the mind, just as he could do with any other kind of illness. When God gave the law to the Israelites through Moses, he indicated that if they disobeyed him, I mean if they obeyed him, they would be blessed, but if they disobeyed him, then he will, they will be cursed. According to Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. And hold on to that Deuteronomy. I pick up another verse here. Deuteronomy 28, verse 20, uh, verse 15 reads, However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his requirements, I mean all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Now look at some of the curses. One of them is mental illness. Look at verse 28. Verse 28 of Deuteronomy 28 says, The Lord will afflict you with madness, blindness, and confusion of mind. Now the word madness is translated from a Hebrew word that means to be mad, to act like a maniac, that is to think irrationally, and not to be in the right state of mind. Although the Bible did not say directly that Nebuchadnezzar was mad or mentally sick, but that was exactly the case with him. That's why he could live with animals. I'm going to read, read it, but you can go home and look at it. Daniel chapter 4, verse 32. So along with madness, God inflicts a person with confusion of the mind. It is this madness that God will inflict on the soldiers who will attempt to destroy Israel just before Christ returns. According to what prophet Zechariah says in Zechariah chapter 12 verse 4. Zechariah chapter 12 verse 4. Zechariah chapter 12 verse 4. It is, on that day I will strike every horse with panic and its rider with madness. 
declares the Lord. I will keep a watchful eye over the house of Judah, but I will blind all the horses of the nation. So you see then, that a person could have mental illness, that is directly because of God's judgment, and not as a result of demon possession. Now because of these observations, it is important to emphasize then that not all persons who exhibit the activities that we have mentioned so far are demon-possessed. For example, a person under the influence of some drugs might have unusual strength or energy. But that does not necessarily mean that the person is under demon possession, although it's often difficult under such conditions to be certain that a person has not given himself over to Satan because of use of drugs. Now we say this because there is a case documented in Ecuador of an Indian by name Pablo, who after taking of certain narcotic roots, would go into a trance-like state under which he did strange things that revealed demon possession. Now the thing is, it's really difficult to single out one of these manifestations of demonic activities in a person as the most indicative of demon possession since demons are deceptive spirits. But if there is an undeniable evidence of demon possession, it is the hijacking of a person's voice to speak things that a person has no way of knowing. To me, that's the most telling. My point is that, that one must be careful though in labeling a person as demon possessed. But when majority of these other activities are apparent in a person, and that person is an unbeliever particularly, it is much easier to identify the person as demon possessed. There is much more to demon possession. Like I told you, I just summarized what I thought in Luke. So I told you, if you want to get the rest of it, go to Luke, beginning at lesson 80. You get the rest of it. There is a, a whole lot more that we dealt with with demons. But this is just to make you know why when Paul said, I don't want you to participate with demons. So you can see why I was uh, animated pretty mildly to explain to you what I did at the first half of our study. So as a believer, I hope you go home and meditate on what we have studied because demons are real. Let's pray. As we end our studies this morning, there may be someone here or someone listening over the internet and you, if you die now, you go straight to hell because you don't have life. But there is hope since you're still alive, still breathing. And that hope is what we're about to offer to you. God in his love sent his son Jesus Christ, the God, man, though he is fully God. He took on a human form, so he lowered himself so he can elevate you. He suffered in a way that you can never imagine. Yet he did all that because he wants you to have life. He wants you to spend eternity with him. He doesn't want you to go to hell that is designed for devil and all his followers. So you can escape 
from going to hell. How? The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What are you going to believe? If you believe that Christ died on the cross, rose again the third day, for your sins, you will receive eternal salvation. You will receive full pardon, full forgiveness, regardless of what your sins must have been. You will be fully pardoned. This is what comes to you when you trust in Jesus Christ. On the other hand, if you refuse, my friend, I have to warn you, you are at the door of spending eternity in hell, which is not a picnic place. It is not a place you go after some time you come out. It is forever. I mean, it's unimaginable to my little peanut mind how a person will suffer throughout eternity without any repose. So escape that by believing in Christ. I even let Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God, the Holy Spirit, will challenge us to the things that we have had so that we will seriously consider what you have given to us in your word and live by them. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen.